Hello there and welcome to Trending Now with Josh Arnold on this Friday morning. I'm Rick Moore along with our producer and engineer Bill Proposky and Josh Arnold of course is uh, your host. We have a um, busy uh, week, a busy day coming up and then I guess a busy week after that. But um, stormy stormy week, a stormy week um, here on the uh, east coast uh, of Massachusetts up on the North Shore and um, a lot of people still without electricity and estimated uh, time of restoration is, uh, at least on Cape Ann, is sometime on uh, Saturday evening. And again, according to National Grid, that is the uh, the worst case scenario. And as you know, you get uh, National Grid out on Cape Ann, on the North Shore, everywhere, working tirelessly to, to get everybody back in, on power. And with electricity, did you lose power? No, no, we, we were fine. I saw some limbs down uh, on the way in, but uh, no, we're good. Yeah, lot, lots and lots of stuff. Um, we did. I did see the boat that was uh, washed up over uh, on Rocky Neck. Big sailboat, and they were able to ride it. I guess the no damage to the hull, so they were able to get it back out uh, to its mooring. And um, sadly, a house burned down at Rockport during the storm, and lots of trees and people still without electricity uh, right now. But I guess uh, school is back in session today, so... <laughs> and a couple of cruise ships pulled into uh, Ipswich Bay to get out of the weather. Not a bad idea. That was a real surprise storm, and I'm sure we're going to be reading and hearing about this for a long time to come. What's the lineup for today? Today we've got uh, Melissa Cox, who is a city councilor at large uh, in Gloucester, up first. Brian Lapierre, an at-large councilor in Lynn, following. Uh, we have Charlie Tonta, who is the... Uh, uh, Ward 4 Councilor in Newburyport, and then we have uh, Alice Merkel, a candidate for City Council in Salem, up. Okay, all that's coming up, and uh, we'll have our first interview in just a minute, so stay tuned. This is North Shore. This is actually not North Shore today. We had that earlier this morning. This is Turning Now with Josh Arnold on MSONewsports.com. People come in, take a seat. You're really in for a treat at Sylvan Street, a great place to eat and drink and meet with family and friends at Sylvan Street. Treat you right, day or night, satisfy your appetite. Eat, drink, and chill at the Sylvan Street Grill. Catch a game with friends, meet for lunch, cocktails after work, or a romantic dinner for two. Whatever your plan, plan to do it at Sylvan Street Grill in Peabody and Salisbury. See you at Sylvan Street. Eat, drink, and chill at the Sylvan Street Grill. Title Boxing, Route 114, Danvers. A friendly, challenging environment. Everybody comes in here uh, thinking that it's like a regular boxing club where you're going to have to get in the ring and fight, and it's actually not. It's a, a classroom type of cardio exercise boxing class. We have uh, 60 bags. The classes range anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour, from 8 rounds to 12 rounds. Uh, there's music playing. The instructor teaches the class, and you have a good time. You learn how to box and have fun and exercise during the class. Title Boxing, Danvers. Hi folks, this is Gerard Moynihan of Moynihan Lumber. And if you're planning to replace the windows in your home, I have just two words for you. Anderson Windows. Anderson is the most trusted name in windows throughout the United States. See the complete line of Anderson Windows on display at Moynihan Lumber in Beverly, North Reading, and Plastown, New Hampshire, or visit us at MoynihanLumber.com. Moynihan Lumber Cherry Farm Creamery wishes all the teams and players the best of luck this fall. Check out the fall ice cream flavors now available. Pumpkin, caramel, apple, and Cherry Farm offers 20% off to kids in uniforms. Enjoy the taste of summer all year round at Cherry Farm Creamery, Conant Street, Danvers. 
Welcome back to Trending Now with Josh Arnold. Our first guest is City Councilor at Large, Melissa Cox. Melissa, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Well, we usually start out and ask folks to give us a three or four minute bio, so why don't we start there and then we can get, get into some questions about the, the upcoming election. Okay, fabulous. Thank you so much again for having me on. Um, I have been a city councilor for the last eight years, six years as a ward councilor and two as an at-large councilor. I made the move from ward to at-large, um, and it's been eye-opening. I enjoy it. Uh, it's a little bit different than being a ward councilor. Ward councilor, you're a point person for about 5,000 people, and at large, you're responsible for the entire city and supporting the ward councillors, which I enjoy. We have a great team of city councillors, and uh, I look forward to working with them again for another two years. I have been on the Budget and Finance Committee for most of my city council career. Two years I spent on planning and development, which was also uh, a learning experience, but I do enjoy my time on budget and finance much more. Great. Um, so uh, tell us, so you mentioned being both a ward and at-large counselor, and I know that the everybody votes on all the issues, but uh, ward counselors in uh, our form of government, the Charter, and, and, and other cities uh, up and down the North Shore tend to be more constituent-based. Tell me, tell, what's the difference? Uh, uh, what have, what have, been, have you found to be the differences? Uh, uh, in your roles? Well, a ward counselor is more of a point person for that ward, where the at-large counselors are more support, um, and we can take on more citywide initiatives, um, you know, parking, um, housing, those kind of things. Um, I helped the clerk's office with a bunch of new um, updated ordinances, in the last two years, uh, just stuff like that, that it doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal. Um, but having clarification on ordinances and getting rid of vague language and basically updating from, you know, years of not really getting those updates, sure. and I'm talking 20, 30 years of, of updates, um, it's, it's super important. Now, uh, you worked, uh, as you said, as chair of the uh, finance committee. The budget is uh, pretty significant. A lot of tax dollars go out every year to uh, public service, a lot of grants, a lot of uh, state and federal money. Um, tell us about your, your work there and, and what, are, what have been some of the challenges uh, you folks have faced. Um, finding extra money. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the Budget and Finance Committee works with the administration in uh, May and June. We go through the budget line by line and review things, talk to the department heads, get a better understanding of their needs, um, you know, capital improvement needs and just manpower needs. It's, it's interesting to have that time with each and every one of the department heads to talk about their budget. And you get a better understanding of where the city is financially by being on that committee. And I really encourage any new counselor to try to spend at least one term on budget and finance to 
not only meet the department heads and interact with them, but to have a better understanding of the city's finances because that's going to complement every other role that you do within the city is if you have a good understanding of the budget, then you can answer a lot more questions than you think by understanding the budget. Well, the budget's a plan, and like all plans, whether it's Bill Belichick's football plan for a Monday night against the Jets, or whether it's the the uh, enacted budget for uh, a city or town, um, it has uh, three parts, the plan, the execution, and the control. And the Budget and Finance Committee acts, uh, while it oversees the planning uh, through the mayor's office, uh, it also is a watchdog on the execution and control. So when there are reschedules or they want to do a budget transfer or it didn't go quite as planned and they need some more money for something, they have to come before the Budget and Finance Committee too, right? Correct, and and that is important, and we do as a committee. Um, I myself track those transfers, and at the following budget year, we go through and we look at those transfers and find out why. Not only do we ask the questions during the transfer process, but we also go and look when we look at the budget again the following year, and say, all right, well, you had $100,000 transferred into this line item, but you're still budgeting it the same as last year. What's what's the big difference? Why are we not properly funding it if that's the case? And a lot of them are, you know, one-time things where, you know, they needed a transfer to maybe match a grant or, or something similar where it was just, you know, a one-time occurrence where they had to find money for something um, to accomplish and say the electricity savings were greater than they had expected so they were able to transfer out like that but you're right it is extremely important to track those things and bring them up at the following budget year to make sure that we're doing things properly you mentioned about uh, revenue and uh, finding uh, additional ways of, of m- making ends meet in terms of the budget. And, and I wanted to uh, ask you a little bit about the 3% impact fee. It seems you could explain that because I, I think uh, I, I gathered get ready for the show that there were some misconceptions out there in the public. And can you take us from through that and explain what it is and how it works? Absolutely. So the 3% impact fee is in regard to housing. Uh, The state had initially said that they were not going to manage the project, that the municipalities had to do it themselves. So we were going to wait for a year to see what kind of revenue it brought in to justify the expense of having somebody manage it. But then the state said, you know what, we'll take care of it, we'll manage it for you. So if you want to adopt it, you can adopt it at any time. So we moved to ADOPT, and what that means is if you have more than one rental property or it's not owner-occupied, then 3% of your rental will go into a separate bucket, let's say, um, to try to... Um, ease the impact of Airbnbs and what that is is that we are seeing a lot of 
what was a long-term rental property being used as a weekly rental property. Um, and, you know, obviously there's probably more money in that, but the impact to the community is less housing, um, long-term housing. So we want to try to offset that with this fee and um, save some money for funding affordable housing. So this 3% can only be used on infrastructure and affordable housing. The mayor has decided that she would like the entire 3% to go to affordable housing, and that is only done with the vote of the city council to earmark it for that. And once we have that revenue in and we can monitor it, then the city council can can move to uh, follow her plan. What this doesn't affect is if you are an owner-occupied house and you are renting out, um, say, an in-law suite or, or it's a duplex, it, you don't have to consider the 3%. And it's also the same if you have, if it's not an owner-occupied but it's only one extra property, you also don't have to have to take care of the impact fee. Um, and what the impact fee is, is it's the same idea as the taxes, is that they will be paid by the renter. Uh, this isn't something that is an adverse effect to the resident, um, unless, of course, you're losing business over it. Um, there's been a lot of communities that have, that has a tourism tax. Um, Venice, Italy, for example, they have a tourism tax on all Airbnbs and other, like, some meals and stuff. But they have not, they were hoping for a decline in tourism because of the impact of tourism on their community. And they have actually not seen a decline in it. And I, I know this is Venice, Italy, um, compared to Gloucester, but we just need to monitor it for a year and find out how the impact is. Obviously, we don't want to ad adversely affect businesses, but um, in all honesty, the the idea is that it's such a small percentage, you know, it's $30 on a $1,000 rental, and it's paid for by the renter, not the resident. So I feel like it's not going to be a, a massive impact. So, so you folks will see... Uh uh, now, who who's responsible ultimately to pay it? If the the property owner has five units and they're getting a thousand dollars a month or two thousand dollars a month, so they have to add that in, and then they send uh, you a check, or they tell the the tenant they have to pay, or how does that? Who enforces it? Well, I mean, most of these are not monthly rentals. Most of these are. Um, weekly rentals, okay. and most of them use a third-party company. So the third-party company, such as Airbnb, um, automatically puts it in, and the renter pays it to Airbnb. Airbnb um, pays, or they pay on behalf of the homeowner. Okay. So it, and if you're doing the taxes yourself, so if it's a single property, there is a line item for the impact fee, but as as I said, if you're a um, 
a resident with a single property, you don't have to pay the impact fee, and you just have to indicate that on your, your taxes. But the resident would collect the sales tax, okay. and it would be on the same form as that. So if you're already doing that, you know that there's an impact with the, the sales tax. Great. Well, I want to thank you for being a guest on Trending Now with Josh Arnold and uh, wish you the greatest success uh, in your uh, bid for yet uh, another term on the Gloucester City Council. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Melissa. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Start the fall season with a winning mortgage rate from your hometown team. Whether you are thinking about buying a new home or condo or refinancing your existing one, our loan rates are among the lowest anywhere. Check out our full menu of rates and terms and apply online 24-7 at institutionforsavingsloans.com. Institutionforsavings.com, member FDIC, DIF, equal housing lender. Harrington Trophy has been rewarding the North Shore for over 30 years with quality custom awards, screen printing, embroidery, and more. We pride our family-owned business on our exceptional customer service and quality products for the right price. Custom t-shirts, sweatshirts, warm-up suits, hats, along with the area's top trophies, plaques, glass awards, we are the one-stop shop for end-of-the-year banquets or advertising your small business through apparel. Come see us at Harrington Trophy, Chestnut Street, Lynn, or HarringtonTrophy.com. You'll love the Bradford Tavern in Rowley as they feature a menu to please everyone. Start your meal with your choice from a dozen delicious appetizers. There are also soups and fresh salads. Dinner selections include burgers, sirloin tips, chicken parmesan, chicken piccata, and then there's seafood, clams, haddocks, salmon, lobsters, and fish tacos, plus a wide selection of sandwiches and wraps. Let the Bradford Tavern host your events or functions set in unique spaces. Open Six days a week, Tuesday through Sunday. The Bradford Tavern, Route 133 Rowley and BradfordTavern.com. The North Shore is listening to MSONewsports.com and our great selection of podcasts. Hi, this is Phil Stacy, Executive Sports Editor of the Salem News. Make sure to listen to our podcast every week with the sports writers from the Salem News, including Matt Williams, Nick Giannino, and myself. MSO News Sports, connecting you to the North Shore. Welcome back to Trending Now with Josh Arnold. Our next guest is Brian Lapierre, who is a city councilor at large in Lynn. Brian, welcome to the program. Thank you, Josh. Thanks for having me on Trending Now. It's a real great honor. Great. Well, uh, we usually start in, you're not a stranger to this uh, show, but we've been on before, but uh, we usually start out and ask folks to give us a three or four minute bio, and then we can get into some questions about what's happening in Lynn. Well, sure, I'd love to. And yes, I've made a few appearances now since I first ran. Uh, for my first term in 2015 as a Lynn City Councilor at Lodge. As you know, I'm representing folks in Lynn uh, seeking a third term in office. It's a citywide seat, one of four councilors that are elected citywide. And I like to pride myself heading into my third term on that try, trying to get the job done for everyone. I'm a Lynn guy. I was born and raised here. I attended the Lynn school system. I went on to Salem State College and got a uh, bachelor's and a master's and a um, CAGS degree over at Salem State. And before launching, uh, embarking on a teaching career um, that I taught 12 years in Lynn and met my wife and uh, my mom as a school secretary and my mother-in-law who was a teacher in Lynn. We basically, um, you know, do everything around the city of Lynn that we love. It means so much to me to be able to now represent voter uh, residents across the city. Um, as I said, I'm priding myself on getting the job done. 
A lot of that is uh, the nitty-gritty, you know, whether it's uh, constituent services. This recent storm has really thrown us for a loop. But, um, you know, we're trying to really make Lynn a better place to not only live but work and create jobs and respond to folks' concerns and, of course, make our neighborhoods cleaner and safer and uh, all of the rest of the things that go along with the big visionary positions that the city councilor must weigh and, and think about and be deliberate about and do their due diligence on, but also the small day-to-day sort of, um, you know, replacing sidewalks and um, plowing streets and getting uh, trees cut back, in this case, tree limbs removed from, you know, main thoroughfares and dead ends and and terraces and the like. And it's been quite an eye-opening, I say it's the hottest job I've ever held. It's a job that I love to do, but um, it's definitely difficult day-to-day work, and I applaud the work that's going on in the city right now. I'm really happy and lucky to be a part of it. Well, good. And when you took office, uh, I know that there was uh, there were issues with uh, the city have, being in somewhat uh, of a financial crisis. Uh, you had a deficit you had to solve, uh, and I know you had to look at some other revenue sources. Uh, I know you, the LIT has improved uh, in its uh, financial operations. Tell us about that journey and, and where you're at now. Yeah, absolutely, Josh. Thank you. In the past four years, you know, we, we were overspending and, and not raising the necessary revenue to keep up with the inflation costs that, you know, you have to do business in, in, in the city of Lynn. It's a huge budget. It's over $300 million. A half of that gets um, allocated to the, you know, by, by way of Chapter 70 state funding over to the school department to educate our children. But you're absolutely right. Um, we went from having a little bit of uh, reserve put aside to really financial straits, uh, and to the tune of $14 million a deficit, uh, where we had to borrow money from the state, and uh, we now took out that loan, and with that loan took a lot of tough decision-making. We were choosing between laying off hundreds of city employees or enacting a a trash fee uh, to help pay for trash collection. Trash costs have skyrocketed in the city of Lynn. It costs over $7 million dollars. Uh, citywide to uh, get our trash emptied on a weekly basis through waste management. And this, um, it actually put us on the footing, this $14 million loan, to not only enable us to pay that back with the trash fee, and that generates about $2 million in new revenue that goes toward the, the, uh, the loan that we took out, but we've also been able to sort of right our financial ship in the past few years. Mayor McGee now presented a balanced budget uh, this past May, which was adopted by the council and included uh, permitting of seven recreational marijuana dispensaries that's going to generate millions and millions of dollars in new revenue. We implemented the meals tax, which is about a half a million dollars in new revenue. Um, we're trying to be creative and trying to hold on to valuable, precious public services in doing so. But every decision we make are difficult ones as a council, but we're lucky to have sort of the support and the uh, sort of a team atmosphere with Mayor McGee working together collaboratively to solve these tough problems. We're putting on new police uh, as they retire out from the early 90s. We got a grant for new firefighters. We're looking to build, um, you know, new schools down the road and just try to invest in our community with a waterfront development and things of that nature that's going to bring renewed and, and real great new revenue in the next few years to the city of Lynn. 
And uh, communities up and down the North Shore have been wrestling with the growing pains of the marijuana law. And I know that Lynn is one of those communities that has uh, uh, opted to have uh, wholesale and retail establishments uh, selling the product. Uh, you have, uh, uh, tell us about that journey and where things are at for the city of Lynn. Sure, I mean, statewide and, and, and Lynn in particular, the voters uh, weighed in quite positively in terms of a 60% vote here in our locality during that 2014 ballot fight and uh, to legalize recreational marijuana. We then took a very diligent approach as a, approach as a council, waiting almost 18 months, 18 to 24 months, to just put together a process. Now we're seeing the fruits of that process come together. So. Uh, Josh, they must first go through our economic development team and they get vetted for their financial wherewithal to see if they have the uh, financials to operate one of these dispensaries. And then they go off to a neighborhood meeting where they have to present whatever location they're seeking. It's been zoned appropriately, so we're away from schools, enough yards away from schools and churches and the like. But they must uh, convince the neighborhood that this is the right plan for them, and that's where you get into some community benefits and host agreements to help the neighborhood that it's going to occupy. You must have a security plan uh, so that it's a safe establishment and that it's well run and orchestrated from the state level. Then they come before the city council subcommittee on the cannabis site review, and after that neighborhood meeting, we then uh, give our approval on the site itself, and then it comes out to the full council, which is a special permit that's being issued Eight city councilors must agree on the site, the company, the security details, the benefits of the of locating there. And as I said, we've done seven out of eight. We'll have host agreements in place. I have to give credit to our chairman of the cha uh, cannabis uh, subcommittee, which is Rick Staub, he's a Ward 2 councilor. And we feel because of the uh, 40 liquor, liquor license that we have across the city, 20% of those had to be recreate permitted as recreational facilities, leaving us with eight uh, as, a, as a minimum. So we um, we took this business really seriously. The first is slated to open for recreational next week. That is the Apotheca on the Linway. They're already doing medical marijuana out of there, but we will have the first recreational one due to open next week, as I said. So it's been an adventure, but it's been a very positive experience, and I'm learning a lot about cannabis be like never before. Well, the Traffic and parking are issues in many cities uh, up and down the North Shore, and Lynn is no uh, uh, is is no different uh, in that regard. I understood that you had some proposals. The city had, Lynn had some proposals out for parking lots that would also have an element of housing, whether it's a. Uh, uh, affordable or uh, what's the other term we, we, we kicked around uh, uh, like uh, an income based or income based housing yeah, yeah. what uh, uh, tell me about that what, what's going on with the parking and the, those housing units well good question and I think on the parking issue we've actually turned down some uh, recreational dispensaries due to that just because of that reason the lack of parking so we have denied our share of those as well yeah. but looking at what you're what you're um, stating around we've had three Requests for proposals go out recently in our municipal parking lots. We have just traditional sort of pavement parking lots at Ellis Street, Andrews Street, and Oxford Street, or Buffum Street. And um, those three lots are, uh, you know, they've been around the city a long time. We're trying to get creative, and we're looking for proposals from developers that want to build upward. 
So the idea and concept would be you'd have retail on the first floor, on the first level, and then you'd have two or three levels of garage parking for residents and community and shoppers, and then you'd have a 10-story sort of apartment uh, condo type of dwellings, residential. So we're zoning it for that. It would have to go up to, uh, I think, another five floors if we did. Right now you have a right uh, zone for 10 floors, but this would increase that to 15 most likely. And what we're looking for developers is to really do the right thing. You have to uh, build union and have union jobs and union wages that go along with the, that development. Three huge parcels that have the uh, potential for 300-plus units. Uh, we're talking a lot about Lynn preference for Lynn residents, particularly our seniors who are on fixed incomes, who are downsizing from their single and double-family homes and trying to just, you know, uh, do more of a, apartment atmosphere and one bedroom one bath type of dwelling we also are very um wanting to see what the developers will do for our community uh, i'm not big on tax incentives per se but i think we have to look at each case by case and see if we can get you know community benefits what the developer will help with that the community needs are uh, for those three locations um i would like to see a senior center frankly a new senior center state-of-the-art on Ellis Street, which is the parking lot in the downtown. Right now, we're in search of a new senior center, so that would lend itself, you know, building it in the next couple of years. So you have this vision of senior living and senior center on the ground floor with parking in between, I think is a nice concept that we ought to explore, as well as the medical village up on Linfield Street. As Union Hospital starts to close in early November, there's an opportunity there for both retail and residential to be along that Linfield Street corridor like you've never seen before with restaurants, shops, and some townhouse or row house uh, type of dwellings being built there. So a lot is happening in Lynn. As you know, the waterfront, the downtown, and Linfield Street, we're excited about this opportunity and what it could present to us. Well, we've got uh, just about a minute or two left, uh, and I have to ask you, uh, we, it came up uh, off uh, camera, off uh, the radio uh, when we were doing the prep for the show. What is a kosher marijuana facility? <laughs> yes, yeah, so interestingly enough, aside from the seven recreational uh, marijuana dispensaries that are permitted, this was one we approved on Sanderson Avenue. If folks are familiar with the Kylie Park area off of Eastern Ave. This is a commercial dwelling. It's a commercial facility that is not open to the public. But what they will do is cultivate and extract, uh, and this was new to me, the actual oils from cannabis, and they bless them on site. They are all kosher, and they're able to go to folks who are kosher and um, folks that want to buy this type of product. Um, so it's handled quite differently. It is um, may it will say it will be branded as such and sealed as such as being kosher. That's being done right now out of the Maxant facility, formerly Maxant on Sanderson Avenue. Again, not open to the public, strictly delivering to kosher clientele around the region, if not the state. And it was new to us in a in very innovative uh, concept, and uh, we're proud to have the first kosher uh, medical and recreational marijuana facility. Uh, in the city of Lynn. Wow. Uh, and and so someone who wants kosher products, uh, they buy them like online or it's a, uh, they don't yeah, go? I believe it's a, um, so they're a carrier that uh, sends two other dispensaries 
and okay. they, it becomes retail from there. So right. I think it's many like people old- you can also call directly. I think they're located. Yeah, they were located on 86 Anderson Ave. But um, I think once of the, it's more of a distribution center sure. to okay. get out. So there'll be a kosher line in some of these recreational dispensaries across the state. Got it. People okay. can inquire about. Yep. Okay. Well, great. That that clears that up. Thank you. I I just it was an interesting. Uh, comment and topic and I said I gotta ask if I have if I have time I have to ask. So thank you. And thank you for being a guest on Trending Now with Josh Idol. Fourteen minutes goes by really fast, but uh it's always great to have you on the show and uh, always so informative. Uh wish you well in your uh, uh bid for re election uh, to City Council in Lynn. Thank you, Josh. It's always a pleasure to speak with you and your listeners. I appreciate it very much. Thanks Brian. Take care now. I'm Bob Gillis, president of KPN Savings Bank, serving the KPN community with stability and commitment for over 170 years. Since 1846, our customers have relied on our local bank service and big bank benefits. Stop by our offices or call to talk about your banking needs at 978-283-0246. Built on community, kpnsavings.bank. Member FDIC. Member DIF. Equal housing lender. Gloucester's Walter Wilkins Insurance Agency is teaming up with Columbia Insurance to deliver a full line of products, personal home and auto policies, as well as a full line of commercial coverage for business owners, including commercial property and commercial vehicle coverage. Wilkins partners with respected companies such as Plymouth Rock, Quincy Mutual, Commerce, and Safeco. For City of Gloucester employees, there are discounts on auto and home policies. Wilkins Insurance is located at 186 Main Street, Gloucester. Now partnering with Columbia Insurance, serving the North Shore. Welcome back to Trending Now with Josh Arnold. Our next guest is Ward 4 City Councilor in Newburyport, Charlie Tonta. Charlie, welcome to the program. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Well, uh, we usually start out and ask folks to give us a three or four minute bio, so uh, why don't you start there and then we can get us some questions about what's going on in Newburyport. Um, sure. Um, I've recently retired after uh, 40 years of uh, teaching economics at Merrimack College. Um, that gives me a little extra time uh, to spend. Uh, I've been um, ward counselor since uh, 2014. I got elected in 2013 uh, in Newburyport. Um, as is know, we have uh, six wards that are geographically located, uh, so therefore I just represent a portion of the city in the, in the north part, or I have for the last six years, uh, and I decided uh, to run um, citywide this year. Uh, in terms of uh, my background, uh, um, as an economist, uh, I, I focused on urban and regional economics uh, and some environmental economics. Um, I received a grant from HUD in the 90s to work with the city of Lawrence. I wrote a uh, strategic plan for the city of, uh, of Lawrence. I also had an environmental justice grant uh, working with the city of Lawrence. Uh, so as I got toward the end of my academic career, um, and I'm, I'm fully retired, as, as I said a year ago. I decided I, I wanted to contribute more um, to to the community I live in, uh, so that's why I, I ran for uh, city council. Um, I think, as an economist uh, and an academic, I bring uh, a unique perspective uh, to to discussions in the council. Uh, you know, we have small business people, we have lawyers, we have engineers, um, and uh, I. I'm the only economist on there now, and the only economist running. Might be the only economist who has ever run. 
Well, you know, I you uh, I was going through the lineup with my wife uh, last night, and she said, "Is that Professor Tonta from Merrimack?" She went to Merrimack. My wife and my daughter and our daughter both went to Merrimack. Said so she. Oh, is that right? No yeah, kidding. Yeah, and she audited one of your classes when she was an English major, but she was toying with some business classes, and and she had you. So, uh, way back in the eighties. So, um, anyway, let, let's talk about some of the issues in. Um, in Newburyport, I know uh, development's always an issue in uh, uh, cities and towns, and there's a kind of a fine line. You want to build out your economy, you want to uh, address a, uh, housing stock issues, uh, and I know that New England, uh, uh, the waterfront, uh, uh, New England development uh, has. Uh, done a lot of with properties in cities and towns around uh, New England uh, and uh, they're looking at some proposals for Newburyport and that may not set well with everybody but it may be uh, tell, tell me about that what, what what's that process and what, what are those issues around that sure uh, New England development uh, owns quite a bit of, I mean I think they own over 50 parcels uh, mostly in, in along the river and downtown uh, Newburyport so uh, they're a very large player in our local economy. Uh, most of the property that they own in Newburyport is um, commercial retail. Uh, they own a number of marinas. Um, and critically, they they own um, a couple of spaces along the uh, Merrimack River, uh, right ab- abutting the downtown, that are really critical. Um, what, one, of the, one of the prime factors that attracts people to Newburyport is we have um, this downtown Central Park um, that actually was uh, saved during the uh, 70s by, by some you know very forward-looking uh, people who lived here as well as elected officials uh, because that was that was a period of time when you know HUD was coming in and offering municipalities uh, money to tear everything down um, and the waterfront, what we call the central waterfront, is a park now. It has some some parking. We're, we're working on that. But on either side, uh, right along the water, um, New England Development owns the parcels, and they're propose they're proposing to develop uh, what we're calling a waterfront west, which is from a central waterfront to approximately Route One. Um, and uh, it's been fairly controversial. They've been proposing it at this point of. Uh, 215 condos uh, that would be fairly dense, fairly high, um, and and the mass would be fairly large, uh, and it has has been uh, very controversial to do with it. it it's, it's a tough development site um, because being right along the uh, river and, and given uh, changes in in flood zones and prospects for sea level rising, um, they they. They are facing, you know, some some very challenging FEMA regulations to develop on that site, uh, which requires if they want to build that lodge, they have to go a lot higher. Uh, and so, a lot of people are concerned that that scale of development will not only change what the waterfront looks like, but will change the character of the entire city. And uh, I, I, you know, I, I think they make a good point, quite frankly. Um, Right now, uh, you know, we, we took a straw po- uh, poll um, at the last council meeting, and there was there was uh, no support to uh, giving 
New England development, the zoning changes that they wanted. Uh, so essentially, we said, look, you got, you got to go back, uh, you got to scale this down, take another look at it, uh, and try to help us out here. Now, communities up and down, uh, actually all over the state, uh, in, in other states too, are wrestling with affordable housing and the, the right. notion that the uh, people who grow up in a community, when they downsize, can't afford to live there. Uh, the proposals that you're seeing from New England Development, are those, uh, do any of those have a, an affordable housing component to them, or are these more high-end uh, luxury, if you call it, uh, uh, uh uh, condos. Well, and- uh, most of these would be luxury. We have uh, we passed uh, um, uh, the council uh, this this past session uh, passed uh, passed an inclusive uh, zoning uh, ordinance, which would require twelve percent of the units to be um, affordable in any development over over a certain number. That would apply here. We we in our negotiations with New, New England Development, we. We've been asking them to do much more than that, and some people are asking them to do up to 25% uh, affordable units. Um, yeah, we, it, you know, Newburyport, uh, being a, a very old city, as, as, as many of them are, was, is, you know, in the uh, 18th, 19th century, maybe, you know, at the time of the revolution, it was one of the top five major seaports in the United States. Um, and we, because of the way it was formed, it was basically carved out of local farming communities, and the, the farmers didn't want anything to do with the merchants. So it, it's geographically, we're very small. We're about 10 square square miles, and very dense and very uh, very built out. Um, so uh, possibilities for adding affordable housing uh, and finding a place to do that uh, are very limited. Um, you mentioned a the- smart growth area, uh, yeah. smart growth zone uh, near the uh, uh, near the railroad station, uh, and, and there is an apartment building uh, being built there. I, 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 I just heard yesterday. I, I'll call it, on the, you know, second hand, that the developer uh, Lou Minicucci of that apartment building has purchased another piece of land and, and is looking to to build more, uh, what would be called uh, affordable. Um, you know, that's not that's you know not what you know generally people think of that as being. Uh, uh, you know, public housing, affordable. You know, means that you, you just someone with an income, family household income, about eighty-eight thousand dollars can afford it, somewhere in that range. Okay. Um, and we're desperate for that. And we just did a master plan. Uh, and uh, I was on the committee that uh, that did the economic development portion of that master plan. And and we we had a consultant uh, go. Businesses and, and much, much to a lot of people's surprise, one of the number one local business needs was identified as there's a lack of affordable housing. Is hell for them to find uh, employees uh, because of that, um, and so it's 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 critical to the to the future of the community. I think to develop, uh, and I and I would say we we have our eyes on that area on the train station, but it would. Uh, if you do agree with New England development, uh, we would like more affordable housing uh, in what they do. And one of the issues I know in Newburyport has been uh, an infrastructure issue on roads and sidewalks and uh, right. uh, and so forth. And uh, there's a uh, a desire by some to to uh, uh, put some money on the on the city's credit card by way of debt service to do some road or uh, sidewalk enhancements, uh, and I know that there's uh, there are also uh, 
other issues like when they're going to replace water mains, when are they going to, you know, do the gas things, and you, you're doing some outreach to some different organizations and entities around that. Tell us about that issue, please. Well, sure. Actually, it's pretty exciting from maybe exciting from the perspective of a award counselor. Is um, we we uh, the, the city has commissioned uh, Beta Engineering. Uh, to do a complete study of uh, uh, streets, both both the surface and also the subsurface. So what a, people, a lot of people don't understand, because they look at just a street, um, is it makes no sense to pave a street if a year or two or three years later, National Grid is going to come out, come out and dig it up and replace the gas line. Um, or if the, uh, you know, again, we're an old city, we have a lot of water, Lines that are uh, um, hundred years old, old and older sewer lines. Um, so what? What Beta and they're reporting out uh, this Tuesday, October twenty second, at City Hall in the auditorium at, at seven p.m. Um, and they are going to give us a, a grade for every that um, assesses, you know, uh, a priority for when it should be paved uh, and when work underneath should be done. How, and this is this is great data uh, to have. Um, and so that's the first point of departure. What what needs to be done, and we'll have a, and they're going to offer a five year management plan to do that. Great. Well, separate, quite separate from that, a number of counselors have sponsored uh, in order to have a ten million dollar loan order, um, which would be two million dollars a year um, for streets and sidewalks. Um, I think it's too much. I, I'm, I I can go for fiscal year twenty two million dollars. Uh, but uh, I think it's it's too dangerous and uh, borders on fiscal irresponsibility to commit for $10 million over a five-year period of time, uh, mostly uh, because I'm, I'm extremely concerned as to what might happen um, to the general economy over the, that period of time. Uh, I don't want to be stuck out there that if we borrowed the full $10 million, um, the debt service on that would be $870,000 a year. Um, I, I know I, I looked at the data from the last recession. I've read a lot of literature about what happened to municipalities in the 2008-2009 uh, recession. They, you know, they got caught by surprise. They had to cut. Uh, we experienced uh, a 1% cut in total revenue. Uh, and you know, when you figure that we we generally budget on the base of around a 3% or so. Uh, increase in revenues. If you have a one percent cut, then then you're cutting four uh, percent. At that point, you're cutting you're uh, you're laying people off. Uh, and so I'm I'm willing to do one year, two million dollars. Uh, but I would like the council to reassess uh, every year, um, given the economic conditions, whether or not to uh, to borrow uh, further. Uh, also, have we have a lot of other issues, uh, uh, infrastructure and building issues in front of us. Um, we have a, 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 a fire station that is in deplorable conditions, and, and recently we've seen a, a lot of evidence that uh, firefighters' um, health and safety is in danger. Uh, I mean, we, it, it, it's a station that was not particularly well built when it was first built. Uh, I don't think we can afford uh, to lose that station. Uh, because that would in- increase response times, and our firefighters not only, not only responding to fires, but they're also our first responders for medical conditions. So if you have a heart attack, it makes a world of difference whether or not a fire truck can get out there in four minutes versus six to eight minutes. Um, 
So I'd like to take this a, on a year-by-year basis uh, and assess where we are. Um, a, because you could have a recession, in which case I don't want to be laying teachers off. I don't want to be laying firefighters and police off. Uh, and, and we can avoid doing that without you know, making this long-term commitment. Great. I want to thank you for being a guest on Trending Now with Josh Arnold. Uh, and I uh, wish you the best in your uh bid for election. You're running at large this time. I, I, am. I was in error when I wrote that, uh, uh, when I wrote up the script this morning, uh, so I want to make that correction, but uh, I wish you well in your race uh, coming up in a few weeks. Thank you, Josh. Thanks, Charlie. Thank, thank you very much for having me on, and I ask the folks out there to give me one of your five votes. I'd really appreciate it. Thanks, Charlie. You'll love the Bradford Tavern in Rowley as they feature a menu to please everyone. Start your meal with your choice from a dozen delicious appetizers. There are also soups and fresh salads. Dinner selections include burgers, sirloin tips, chicken parmesan, chicken piccata, and then there's seafood, clams, haddocks, salmon, lobsters, and fish tacos, plus a wide selection of sandwiches and wraps. Let the Bradford Tavern host your events or functions set in unique spaces. Open six days a week, Tuesday through Sunday. The Bradford Tavern, Route 133 Rowley and Bradford. Hi folks, this is Gerard Moynihan of Lumber. Professional builders and remodelers use Anderson Windows more than any other brand in the United States. They do so because Anderson Windows and patio doors offer beautiful natural wood interiors, low-maintenance exteriors, and outstanding energy efficiency. See the complete line of Anderson Windows at any of our three locations, in Beverly, North Reading, or Plastown, New Hampshire, or at MoynihanLumber.com. Moynihan Lumber, we measure up. Welcome back to Trending Now with Josh Arnold. Our next guest is a candidate for city council in Salem, Alice Merkel. Alice, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me this morning. I'm so excited to be on your show. Well, I, I know the power's back on in Salem. I know you had some uh, power outages. Uh, uh, Salem was one of the impacted communities, uh, as was Gloucester and other places. Uh, we usually start out with uh, asking folks to give us a, a three or four minute bio and we could get in some questions about uh, the upcoming race. Great. Uh, thank you. Uh, again, I'm, I'm so happy to be on your show this morning. <laughs> yes, my name is Alice Merkel and I am running for counselor at large here in Salem. Uh, and to tell you a little bit about myself, uh, I grew up in Worcester. I went to Salter College for business and then worked uh, in business for a few years in New York City. After returning to Massachusetts, uh, I raised my daughter Brenda with my husband Barry in Billerica, and there I ran my own successful business as a music teacher. Uh, after she went away to college, my husband and I relocated in Mexico, and I am currently a teacher at the Salem and I'm also very active in our Salem communities. I'm a, I'm a long-time volunteer for our Salem pantries. I also volunteer for our community life center and the backpack program in our schools and other venues and organizations as well. Uh, I'm also a, a homeowner here, uh, and I live uh, right down right downtown on the corner of Federal and Washington. 
Every community is wrestling with affordable housing issues. Salem's no exception to that. Tell us about uh, uh, what's going on with affordable housing in Salem and what uh, what some of the challenges are and, and what the solutions might hold. Yes, uh, you are correct. Uh, it's not only Salem, it's a regional and national problem as well. And unfortunately, there's there's no one answer uh, to, to the housing crisis. Uh, but fortunately, there are uh, several tools uh, at our disposal that, that we can use. Uh, some of them are ordinances that are currently in front of the council, uh, an accessory dwelling unit ordinance um, to make it that more people can use an in-law apartment uh, to rent out, not just as currently you can only rent to family members or caregivers. This would make it so you could rent it to everyone, so it would create a more affordable unit for someone and also help people afford to stay in their homes. Uh, and we also have, uh, and that's just one example, we have an inclusionary zoning ordinance that will come to make sure we can create actual affordability in our housing. Uh, and then we also have organizations that are building affordable housing, like the North Shore CDC and Harbor Life. And I want to make sure our city council is doing everything we can to support their efforts. We want to make sure the council is an assistance to building affordable housing uh, and not a roadblock or an obstacle. Um, also, it takes state and federal funds to build affordable housing. So. We need every grant we can possibly get. Uh, right now, the city is working on um, allocating funds from the Community Development Block Grant. This is a million dollars in funds uh, that will not only go to affordable housing, but also, also infrastructure, youth programs, senior programs, food programs. So it's extremely important that we, um, we get the community's feedback on how they want these funds uh, funds spent. There's actually a survey our residents can take to put to contribute their input, uh, and also there are other um, funds as well that we need to pursue at the state and federal level to start creating more housing. Senior housing, we need uh, we need it across the board. It's the number one issue I hear about as I talk to our community members. How does climate control have an impact on infrastructure improvements for the city of Salem? Uh, yes, that's that's another uh, big issue for Salem, the climate crisis. Uh, and we do need more forward thinking, uh, and we need a really uh, strong program to uh, and ideas uh, to combat that, uh, especially since we're near the shore. We're on the shore. Uh, so coastal resiliency is an issue. Uh, so one, one thing to do is to utilize um, the expertise we have in Salem. We have some wonderful environmental advocates in Salem. We have great groups. Uh, we have CERC, we have SAFE, um, the Salem Sound Coastal Watch. So we need to use their expertise and also, again, pursue funds to make this happen. Uh, and, that, and what I mean by that is uh, to address our seawall, um, to address uh, creating at Collins Cove, we had a project that we created a living shoreline. I was actually part of the planting of that. Ideas like that uh, to, to keep us resilient. Also, for financial, um, you know, to finance projects, one thing we have here is the hazard mitigation plan. Uh, and what that is, uh, it's a plan that um, lists actions that we can take so Salem is more resilient uh, against storms and flooding, extreme temperatures, high winds. 
and we actually need to have a hazard mitigation plan in place to qualify uh, for federal funds, for federal grant programs. Who, who, so that's important. Who does too. the mitigation? Who does? Who creates the hazardous mitigation pro, uh, plan? Uh, I was at the Conservation Commission uh, when they were um, working on the plan. Okay. So, so yes, I believe it's 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 many city agencies that are involved in this. Okay, great. And yeah. uh, what are some of the other uh, uh, issues that that are coming up uh, from you? You go out door to door, I assume, uh, as part of your campaign. What are some of the other issues you're hearing about uh, that folks uh, want to talk about in this campaign? Yes, uh, I'm fortunate to have a lot of conversation opportunities with our community members, not only with the thousands of doors I am knocking, but also with my volunteer work. Uh, a lot of them, like I said, are food and security programs. So I, I get to hear a lot of feedback about the challenges our residents are facing. Um, and uh, one is traffic and parking. Uh, that that um, That is definitely a, a concern on people's radar. It's you know, if you uh, have trouble getting to work on time and uh, there's just a lot of obstacles when you try to come downtown to do errands and really throughout the city. Uh, so to address that, that will, take, um, that will take a coordinated effort as well. One thing I'd like to see is to utilize the expertise of our tracking and parking commission more efficiently. Right now, it can take long lengths of time for their ideas to be implemented because it has to go through the city council and it can take months. So I'd like to have a smoother path for them to initiate their ideas. Also, there's been a feasibility study done for um, an intercity shuttle. That was very promising, uh, and I think that would be a great way not only to connect people uh, with the downtown that are outside the downtown, but also uh, we have you know great businesses and, uh, uh, and opportunities uh, throughout the city. So I'd like to see the intercity shuttle be able to connect um, the city and all our residents, and also east traffic. And there's a proposal for a um, new train stop uh, at the, up near Salem State. Uh, that would be great. That would be great to have a new stop uh, up near Salem State, uh, which would also serve hospital. Uh, so there's different um, different ideas. Like I said, they can need a rail stop. Um, there's a car share proposal. Uh, so there's different ideas, and we need to implement a lot of forward thinking to start addressing our traffic and parking. How do you uh, how do you uh, handle the challenges of uh, expanding the economic development, uh, economic and community development for Salem uh, against the uh, need to keep a, a watchful eye on property taxes? Uh, yes, that's that's a very good question. Uh, because there is a concern about developing responsibly, and that's really important. Uh, and I think it's extremely important when there's a development proposed that we bring that neighborhood into the conversation, uh, because the people that are going to be affected the most by it, uh, we need to uh, have their input on their vision uh, for, for that property and how it will affect them. We need to look at how the development will affect uh, the community environmentally, uh, how it will affect it with traffic, uh, and also um, also a fit for the community, which I mean, which in which I mean size-wise, uh, you want it to be a fit with the other buildings and structures uh, in the neighborhood. Uh, so yeah, like I said, bringing bringing them into the conversation 
I was at a couple of neighborhood association meetings, or one neighborhood had the developer in, uh, come to the neighborhood association meeting, show their proposal, and get the feedback from the community, and they made adjustments in the proposal. Uh, and then after a back and forth, uh, they were able to, um, you know, come up with a good plan, and then a representative from the neighborhood association spoke at public comment at the city meeting and and to, um, to, to give the ideas that the community had. So I thought that was a great example of working uh, with the community. Ending now with Josh Arnold, our 14 minutes uh, just flew by here. Uh, but uh, wish, uh, wish you the greatest success as you uh, seek office uh, uh, as an at-large counselor in Salem, Massachusetts. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you very much. Have a great day. You take care. Trying to figure out why I can't hear anything there. There you go. i got to press the right button. Um, well, that concludes this week. Now, um, this show. Um, what do you got planned for next week, Josh? Next it's, week we're going to give it something special, I guess. Next week, we're going to have a show Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, uh, and Thursday, rather, on uh, uh, continuing with an election series. Uh, uh, Monday, I have Afros Khan, who is a counselor at large in Newburyport. Uh, Valerie Gilman, the Ward 4 Councilor in Gloucester, and Barry Connell, who's the uh, City Council President in Newburyport. Tuesday, we have Anthony Rinaldi in Amesbury, uh, Nicole Morrell, uh, City Council Candidate in Medford, Jacqueline Corvo, Ward 2 Council Candidate in uh, Peabody, and Hong Nett, uh, City Council at Large in Lynn. Wednesday, Paul Guanci, who is the City Council President in Beverly, Jose Encarnacion, who is a at-large kind in Lynn, Joseph Gigaloni, a Ward 2 candidate in Gloucester, and Samantha Watson, a school committee candidate in Gloucester. And then on Thursday, we have Kathy Clancy, who will be a guest, and we have some more people to pencil in to a few of those time mm -hmm. slots. All right. It's going going to be a busy week. Yeah. Very ambitious schedule. All right. On behalf of Josh Arnold, our producer and engineer, Bill Proposky, I'm Rick Moore reminding you, football tonight on MSO starting at 7 p.m. Interviews posted up on our website at msonewsports.com. Again, for uh, Josh and Bill, I'm Rick. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. This is msonewsports.com.